May be seated. Good morning, Coastal Church. It's good to see you this morning. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 3. We're going to pick up in our series on Romans, a love letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. And uh, while you're turning there, did you ever have one of those Sunday mornings where you didn't feel like going to church? Anybody? Yeah, I've had one of those, and uh, that's probably not good. So I got my biannual uh, battle with bronchitis. So forgive me if I start coughing on you. I told my wife, I said, do me a favor. I said, let me sleep in tomorrow. Wake me up about 8.15. She woke me up. About 15 minutes later, she goes, what are you doing? And I'm like, taking the day off. Anyway, so here I am. Um, It's good to see you all this morning. So forgive me for my voice. Pastor Jim greeted me at the door. He said, I hope you sound better than you look. Uh, Equally encouraging. So um, inside your bulletin is a handout, and you can follow along with me. And I would encourage you to do so. While you're kind of doing that, uh, I want to bring to your attention a little bit of a need that we have at Coastal. And sometimes I think a a lot of times we see all the ministries going on, and we think they're all kind of filled, and there's plenty of people to help out. And and I would say oftentimes that is the case. Uh, However, we have a need in our children's ministry right now. Um, Our interim, uh, Robert Sepulveda, has been doing an excellent job, and we got a comment of two things. One, the ministry's growing, and two, our college students are going home for the summer, and a lot of our students help us back there, and, you know, safety is a high priority for us in our children's ministry. We'll make sure we always have two people in every classroom, and and so, you know, if you've never volunteered back there, I just wanted to bring to your attention this morning, hey, we've got a little bit of a need, and, and uh, you can, uh, you could, there's some specialty areas. You could do arts and crafts. You can do some teaching, uh, or you just want to hang out and be a helper, you know, for safety concerns. You can do that that as well. And so, you know, if that interests you, um, uh, just on, on your way out today, uh, Mr. Roberts got a, uh, like a sign-up sheet back there, and he'll get with you later this week, but just kind of let him know at the children's checkout desk uh, that you would be interested in helping with our kids' ministry. Along those lines, many of you know we're in the process of looking to fill that with a full-time dir- children's director, and uh, so we'll be uh, taking resumes probably until about the end of this week, and, and there's a team that's really searching through those. I just want to bring that to your attention, be praying for them, and uh, we're looking to fill that position, and I'm excited about that, and I know you are as well, okay? So be in prayer. And then one final thing, at the Connect Center, uh, we've got some commentaries that you can follow along in this series. If you're like, man, I really would like to dig a little deeper into Romans, obviously I can't unpack it all verse by verse uh, without being in the letter of Romans uh, till the return of Christ, okay? And so I'm, I'm trying to keep it a little bit shorter. So if you want to dig a little deeper, we're trying to sell them at our cost by Douglas Mule commentary on, on uh, Romans. It's a great, great commentary. All right. We, um, our family pet is a Yorkie poo. And uh, every time I, I say that, I, I feel like I need to turn in my man card uh, because it just doesn't feel very masculine. Um, and so when we first got this dog, we got him. Uh, it's a mix of a Yorkshire Terrier and a, um, and a poodle so that they don't shed. And uh, it's a glorified mutt, really. Uh, so, and, and that's what it is, so they can overprice them when they sell them. But we got there because we have several in our family that have allergies, probably myself included, and uh, we wanted a non-shedder. Now, the funny thing about this dog is if you don't groom it regularly, it looks a little bit like a chia pet. I mean, it just keeps going, you know, and eventually all you see is its eyes, you know. And, and because me and my wife are kind of tightwads, you know, we didn't want to spend money on grooming when we first got the dog. And so my wife attempted to do it herself for about the first year. And, and he got a bunch of knots and he was just a mess. And we were like, man, we probably ought to take him and get professionally groomed. And so we took him to a groomer. Uh, and so the groomer called us when they were done. And she said, listen, I just left the message. Listen, I just want you to know he's, he was so knotted in places that I, I just had to shave him 
all the way down to the skin. Now, uh, we were like, oh, that's fine. That's, he'll be cool for the summer type thing. And so I went to pick him up, and this lady hands me this animal that I did not recognize. I, I literally said, this is not my dog. And to kind of give you the word, the, the, of an illustration, it was a mix uh, between Yoda and E.T. is what he looked like, you know? I mean, it just wasn't pretty, you know? And I'm like, you got to be kidding. i got to live with this thing in my house for the next month, you know, until its fur grows back. And, and so I just was going, you know, driving home. And, and, and my dog, when people visit, he likes to shoot out of the front door and run across the road. And so as I got him home, I said, now, Toby, I said, you know, you, you're going to need to be really careful over the next month or so that you don't run away because no one is going to take you in, all right? You, you do not look pretty right now, you know? And I was telling him how ugly he looked. And, and so my tender-hearted kid, man, he, that just hurt his heart, right? And he goes, no, Dad. So he picks up this E.T.-looking figure, and he starts to pet it, and he tells this dog how cute he is and how lovable he is and how much he loved him and, and you know, all this kind of pet Psyche gobbledygook. Anyway, so that's kind of what he did. And, and it reminded me of our last two weeks of Romans. You know, we went through Romans 1 and we went through Romans 2 and it left us kind of heavy hearted, right? I mean, we kind of looked at the human condition and, and it wasn't pretty. And, and uh, in fact, the first week I preached on Romans chapter 1, our children's director, Robert, he, I was telling him what I was preaching on. He's like, well, you're going to leave them with any hope. I said, no, no, Paul doesn't leave us with any hope. For three chapters, he leaves us hopeless. You know, he, t- he explains the human condition and it's not pretty. Yet, this morning, we're going to look at a conjunction in the Bible in Romans chapter 3, verse 21, that literally changes everything for us. Uh, it's, it's the conjunction, but, and I've told you before, years ago, I preached a series called Big Butts in the Bible. And we talked about how this conjunction, but changes everything for us. And we're reminded that the God of the universe loves the unlovely. You know, spiritually speaking, we're the E.T. or we are the Yoda. And yet God loves us anyway. So let's dive in this morning. Romans 3 verse 21 says, but now, I want you to circle that word, but right there. It's a conjunction. When you're reading your Bible, there's certain words that need to stick out to you. That's one of them. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Church, some of the most exciting words in the Bible is, we are made right with God. All the chapter one, all of chapter two, all of chapter three leaves us under the wrath and the condemnation of the God of the universe because of his holy character and his demands for righteousness. And Paul makes a huge transition here. But now we are made right with God. And he's specific about what this looks like. It's not by keeping the law. It's not by keeping the rules. It's not by earning your righteousness, if you will. Some of you remember back in January, I preached a a sermon on the rich young ruler. And if you remember in that sermon, the rich young ruler came to Jesus. He was a man that lived during Jesus' day and he was wealthy and he had his youth and he had authority. And he came to Jesus 
and he asked Jesus, he said, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Now let's pause there for a minute because I unpacked that at that day and we talked about, you know, imagine if here in, at Coastal, someone came up to me this morning and said, hey, Pastor Sean, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? What would we say? What would you say? The typical American Christian church response would be, well, listen, you just need to pray this prayer. You just need to accept Jesus as your personal savior. If it was a church service, I might end the service with, hey, if you want to receive Jesus as your personal savior, have eternal life, do me a favor, raise your hand. Nobody's looking around or stand up or fill out that tear off. You know, we have all these methods to give people an opportunity to receive Jesus, but Jesus does something totally unexpected. It's the, ty- the answer Jesus gives to the rich young ruler would probably get me fired. So if Jesus said, good enough for Jesus, good enough for me, all right? He looks at this guy and he says, keep the 10 commandments and you'll inherit eternal life. Interesting response, isn't it? And so in Luke chapter 18, verse 21, it says, the man replied, the rich young ruler, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was what? What a pompous, arrogant, pride-filled answer, yes? And so Jesus says, listen, one thing you lack, you're missing one thing. Sell everything you have and donate it to the poor. Remember that? And we talked about in that sermon how, you know, I think a lot of times that passage gets used to say how we shouldn't have things and we need to get rid of all the stuff we have. When I think it's not, that's not what Jesus is teaching at all. He wants to teach us and he wants to challenge us to make sure that what has our heart is not stuff. And what he takes to this rich young ruler is, hey, I want to point out two commandments you're not keeping. One, you're not loving God with all that you are. And two, you're coveting because you want more and more stuff. How many of y'all have seen that AT&T commercial where they sit the little kids around the table and the one little girl goes, because we want more and we want more and we want more and we want more. And I, you know, it's kind of funny, but it's like, ew, that's really the human condition, right? We're not really satisfied with what we have. We covet all the time. Got to have more and more and more. And so Jesus says, you know, you, you need to do, and he, 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 he melds together the first and the Ten Commandments. Why is that important that I bring that out this morning? Because I believe most Americans really feel and really believe they're not that bad. Most Americans feel like, hey, they're going to stand before the God of the universe, and they'll probably be just about okay. They'll probably measure up just fine. And the Apostle Paul says, it's not your behavior, if you're going to stand before a holy God, is that you got to be perfect. And we've unpacked that the last couple weeks. And so Paul says, it's not by law keeping, but rather it's by faith in Jesus Christ. He says, it's by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, a couple of words about faith. First of all, it's not faith in faith, okay? A lot of everybody has faith in something nowadays. It's not faith in faith. It's not mindless hope. It's not that all thoughts or religions are valid. You see, saving faith engages a couple things. It engages the heart. There should be some emotion when we engage the truth of God. It engages our heart. I love so many times when we sing a song, in the middle of the song, some of y'all burst out in, in applause. 
There's a great, in fact, as we unpack Romans, there's a great um, interlude around Romans 11 where the Apostle Paul is kind of unpacking the message of the gospel. And in the middle of this letter, he gets so excited, he just starts praising God with a hymn in the middle of it. I love that. That our minds should engage with the good news. And we have faith, and so it engages our hearts, and the secondly, engages our minds because this thing that we believe is grounded in truth. Our faith is in a historical fact. Romans chapter 10, Paul says this, Romans chapter 10, verse 8, he says, and that message is the very first message about faith that we preached. And then he goes on to say in verse 9, here's the message. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? All right, let's park here. Well, I'll come back to that. Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved, okay? Now, let me unpack this for just a minute. First of all, Paul says, we confess with our mouth Jesus, okay? Jesus is God's son. It's his name, okay? A lot of times we we hear Jesus Christ, our Lord, and we think first, middle, and last name, right? Jesus is his name. Christ is a title, okay? The title means the anointed one, the special one sent from God, and Lord is a position, that Jesus takes up in our heart, in our minds, and in our lives. You know, um, I don't know about you guys, but this study in Romans, in my circles, and maybe not so much in your circles, but in my circles, has created a lot of theolo- deep theological discussions. Any of y'all been having that since we started this series? Nobody. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> glad it's making an impact. Uh, but yeah, man, we've had a lot of really deep theological discussions. And one of them is, is what it really means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And I think Romans 10 verse 9 reminds us that, that Christianity is not a tack on to our lives. You can't take Christ onto your life. You can't say, yes, I'm a Christian and walk out these doors and live any old way you want. That's not a Christian. I hate to tell you. Praying a prayer or uh, doing some religious act does not make you a Christian. It's a bowed knee to the lordship of Christ. It says, Jesus, you own me. I worship you. I live for you as best I can all day, every day, through the power of your spirit. The the Great Commission, Jesus said, we are to go and make disciples, not converts, not people that raise their hand, not people that fill out a tear off, people that are following hard after Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, man, we are now made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And then he says, you believe in your heart, this deep abiding belief. And then he he gives us what we got to believe. He says, you believe that God raised him from the dead. Now, church, I want to be, I want to be really clear here for a moment. The Bible makes no bones about it. Christianity would be completely undone, would be completely untrue if you could produce a corpse. Produce a corpse of Jesus Christ, produce a gravesite of Jesus Christ, and Christianity is worthless. It's worthless. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 15. Might as well go do something else. Don't waste your time. Faith in Christ, our faith is grounded in the historical fact of the resurrection of Christ. And maybe you're here this morning and you're maybe a little bit skeptical or you're investigating. I want to encourage you. There's a couple great resources. One is The Resurrection Factor by Josh McDowell. And uh, he does a great job of talking about the, the historicity of the, of the resurrection of Christ. Another one, same author, is Evidence That Demands a Verdict. 
And I would encourage you to read those, okay? And so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. But Paul says, man, our faith in Christ makes us right with God. Then he says this, and this is true, Paul says, for all. Let me stop here for a minute. Being made right with God is true for every single one of us in this room. You have not committed a sin or you have not done something so bad that you cannot be made right with God through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? It's true for everyone. It's true for you and 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 it's true for me. None of us can be kept apart from the love of God through a relationship by grace alone, through faith alone in God's son, Jesus Christ. Not only is it true for all of us in this room, but it's true for all people across the world. Church, there's no way that we can hear the good news of Jesus Christ and think it's just an American thing. It needs to get us passionate about missions and going internationally. In fact, Paul, when he writes this letter, Pastor Joey, unpack this week one, he reminded us. He said, Paul really wrote this as a fundraising letter. In chapter 15, we're going to get to that, where Paul says, listen, I'm coming through so that you can send me on to Macedonia, a place that never has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because people are made right with God through faith in Christ. It's true for all people. And we need to be passionate about that. It's true for your coworker. It's true for your lost neighbor. It's true for, your, it's true for your relative that doesn't know the Lord. We are always on mission looking for opportunity to tell people you can be made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. The second thing Paul says here is that we're freed from sin's penalty. We're freed <clears throat> from sin's penalty. Romans 3.23 says, For everyone has sinned, and fall short of God's glorious standard. Here's another conjunction. You can circle this one, ready? Yet God, with undeserved kindness. Anybody know what the word undeserved kindness means? Anybody know? It means grace. Yet God, with his grace, with his undeserved kindness, I love this next part. He declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sin. That's what we talked about the last couple weeks, that our sin deserves something, right? Our sin deserves the wrath of God. Every single human being is born into sin and deserves the wrath of God. This is not about fairness. If we all got what was fair, we would get the condemnation of our holy God. But Paul goes on to say, yet God... By his grace, by his undeserved kindness. Church, grace is not earned. Grace is a, is a free gift. It's a gift so large that it could never be repaid. Grace is humbling. Grace is life-changing. The one who genuinely receives grace will, will never be the same. This uh, past week, I, I had the opportunity um, to do a funeral service for two people that maybe you're in this room and you love, and I don't see Joey. Is he here? All right. I hate when y'all hide back there. <laughs> so uh, we had the opportunity to do a couple funeral services this week, and um, one of the songs that we sang a couple times, and I thought it was worth reminding us, and And all kidding aside, I want you to pause for a moment this morning and be reminded of this great song that 
we run the risk of being so familiar with that we forget its amazing truth and its amazing power. When did you hear this this morning? Amazing grace.
And so God in his, yet God has made us righteous because of his grace. The second thing Paul says here is not only did he give us grace, but he declared us righteous. This is huge. The, the, the theological word is the word justification. If you've never heard that word, it's to be declared righteous. In other words, the works of Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the perfectly obedient one, the keeper of the law of God are declared or granted into your spiritual bank account by grace alone through faith alone. Let me unpack this for a minute this morning. You know, a lot of times Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection gets all the play. It gets all the sermons. It gets all the cred. And we forget about the importance of the life of Jesus Christ. In all of his life, Jesus never had another God before his heavenly father. In all of his life, not a moment of his day was there something that engaged his heart, an idol that engaged his heart more than worshiping and doing the will of his heavenly father. Not for a single minute of the life of Jesus Christ did he take God's name in vain, either verbally or in behavior. He kept the Sabbath holy, set apart to worship God, his Father. Jesus Christ, for his entire life on earth, perfectly honored his father and mother. Jesus Christ never killed Never even in his thoughts thought, looked down on another person created in the image of God. Jesus Christ never committed adultery, not even in his thoughts. Did his thoughts ever wander into an area of sin? Jesus Christ, he never stole. Never stole another person's idea or their stuff. Jesus Christ never fudged the truth. He never told a lie, never made the story bigger than it needed to be to make himself look good. And even when the Bible says he had no place to lay his head, he didn't covet. He was perfectly satisfied with what his heavenly father had for him. Jesus Christ kept the law perfectly. Get this, every moment of every day, and that is now granted to you through, into your spiritual bank account by grace alone, through faith alone. He's the payer of a debt he didn't owe. Fully God and fully man, he bore the wrath that our sin deserved. And by grace, through faith, Paul says we are declared righteous in the sight of God. Romans 1, 2, and 3 reminds us what we deserve is the wrath of God. And one day when we stand before the God of the universe and you give an account, you better point to God's son, Jesus Christ, and say, he is the only reason that I stand here. If you're visiting this morning, one of the things you'll notice, we sing a lot of songs about Jesus. We get fired up about Jesus. We clap during the song, in Christ alone. Why? Because he's our only hope when we stand before the God of the universe. It is in Christ alone that we have salvation and hope. Now, I want you to see this as we wrap up here this morning. I want you to see 
the high cost of righteousness to God. I want you to see the high cost of righteousness to God. Romans 3.25 says, For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was... For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in the present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is both fair and just. And he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus Christ. Those of you who serve in the military or have served in the military, you know this to be true, right? Freedom is never free. Freedom's never free. And the Bible's been clear. We've been talking about this. Sin has a penalty. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is what? Death. It, we're, uh, it's owed to death. And, the, and, and, what is, and, and that's the payment for our sin. So what is, it, what is knowing Jesus do? It saves us from the penalty of our sin. By the way, whenever you're reading your New Testament, I want you to add something, not to God's word, but to your thinking and to your understanding. <clears throat> a lot of times when we read our Bible, we come across the word saved, right? We saw, we saw that in Romans 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, dead, you'll be saved. If you're like me, you go like, I didn't know I needed saving. That's kind of a church word. I didn't know I was lost, right? So I want you to add something to your thinking. Whenever you read that word, I want you to remind yourself that I'm saved from the penalty of my sin. I'm saved from what my sin really deserves. And how am I saved? Well, Paul unpacked this even more in Ephesians chapter 2. He said, for God saved you by his grace when you believed you can't take credit for this. It's God's gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done No, uh, so that none of us can brag about it. Paul reminds us in Timothy that we've been ransomed. And, Paul and Joey just did a great job of tying that word into amazing grace. The word ransom means that we've been bought back, that our freedom came at a high cost to God. First Timothy writes, for there's only one God and one mediator who can reconcile or make peace, if you will, with God and people. He is the man, Christ Jesus. He gave his life to do what? Purchase what? Freedom for everyone. Salvation is free to you and I, but it came at a high cost to God. And the Apostle John writes it this way in 1 John 4.10. He says, this is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent a, his son as a, and here's a big church word, propitiation or the sacrifice to take away our sins. Here's what that word means, okay? And I love this word. It's one of my favorite words in the New Testament. I've, uh, probably once a year, I bring this to your attention, is that it's self-satisfaction through self-substitution. In other words, God satisfied his own demands for the penalty for sin, the own demands of his character and holiness, his own demands for righteousness, his, his, his holy, righteous character. He satisfied those demands by substituting his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty that we could never pay. He substituted his only son because he loves us. This means, church, 
that all of our mess-ups, all of our sin is nailed to the cross. The wrath of God is poured out on his son, Jesus Christ. The wrath of God is satisfied in Christ alone. This means that Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2 and Romans chapter 3 and the Ten Commandments, which I can't keep at all on a daily basis, are the penalty for that sin is nailed to the cross. And the righteousness of Christ is declared over me by grace alone through faith alone. It's an incredible story. The Bible word, I, we hit on this earlier, the word justification, right? It's a big church word, justification. Have you ever heard it defined this way? Just as if I'd never sinned. Have you ever heard that? It's a bad definition, actually. It's actually better than that. It's not just as if you've never sinned, it's as if you're at some neutral state now. No, when you are declared righteous, you're actually a step ahead of that. You're declared, you stand covered and clothed in the works of Christ. The law of God perfectly kept in Christ. You stand righteous before God. It's an amazing story. And it's granted to us. We're adopted into the family of God. I remember years ago, my son, my tender-hearted, dog-loving son, he always, whenever, whenever I come home, he'll look at the dog and go, hey, hey, Toby, that's my dog's name, hey, Toby, daddy's home, to which I respond, I'm not that dog's father. <laughs> I remember when I was joking around with him one time, and I said that, and he looked up at me, and he said, dad, we adopted him into our house. Stink, you got me on that one, right? <laughs> that little E.T. meets Yoda dog is a part of my family. Romans 1, 2, and 3 leaves us looking like E.T. and Yoda, but by grace, through faith, we're adopted into the family. It's a pretty incredible story. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And grace should radically change us forever. When we stumble across grace and we understand the high cost of our righteousness, not to me, free to me, but it's cost to God, it should motivate us like never before. I can never understand how we can come across grace and leave here unchanged. I can never understand how we can come across the incredible story of grace, the incredible story of declared righteousness, and leave here unchanged. There's a great story in the Old Testament. It's one of my favorites. I've told you, to you before. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 24, where King David is, is greeted with the grace and the mercy of God. King David sinned. He took a census in 2 Samuel 24. And and God had told the kings of Israel to never take a census. And the reason was God wanted the kings of Israel to depend on him and not a head count. But David did it anyway. took a census. His commander, Joab, said, David, don't do this. You know this isn't what God wants. And so, but David wanted a head count. So Joab came back and let him know that he had about 1.2 million soldiers. David felt good about that. 2 Samuel 4, his conscience begins to bother him. He realized he had sinned against God. He bows a knee to God. God sends a prophet to David and says, here's the deal, David. I'm going to pour out my wrath on the people because of your sin as the leader. 
He says, I'm going to let you choose. You can have three years of famine. You can have three months of running from your enemies. Or you can have three days in the hands of God where I will punish the people myself. And David said, man, I'd rather fall into the hands of God. And so for three days, much like in Egypt, a death angel went through Israel, taking the lives of people. As the angel was about to approach Jerusalem, David fell on his knees and he said, listen, I'm the one that sinned. Punish me. And so the death angel, because of his grace and his mer- God's grace and mercy, relented. And so David built a play. He wanted to build an altar to worship God. And he was on this mountain that was owned by a farmer. The farmer's name is Arnold. And he went up and he said, listen, I want to buy this mountain from you. And I want to build an altar. And I want to worship the Lord here. And, of course, the farmer's got the king on his land, the king of all Israel. And he says, no, 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 you don't have to buy anything from me. Here, take the mountain. It's yours. And, and by the way, here's, here's an ox you can use for the sacrifice. And here's the wood. I'm going to provide everything. You're the king. I mean, take it, take it, take it. And David responds like this in 2 Samuel 24. I love this. 2 Samuel 24, 24. He says, no. I insist on buying it, for I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. It is impossible for us to come across the high cost of righteousness and its cost to God and for us to leave unchanged. Church, I can hardly imagine what God would do with a group of people that say, man, I've been adopted into the family by grace alone, through faith alone. How dare I go out these doors and live a life that costs me nothing? I'm going to live differently this week because I've been bought back. I've been ransomed by God's grace. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your grace this morning. We want to thank you for the gospel. We want to thank you for declared righteousness. We want to thank you for propitiation where you satisfied your own demands of wrath on sin by pouring it out on Jesus Christ. We want to thank you for the cross, God. We want to thank you for the purchase price of our freedom before you. Credited to us by faith. God, how humbling. And God, as your people, we want to leave here this week. We want to leave changed. We hold in our hearts and in our minds and in your word, God, we hold the greatest story ever told with hope. And God, we want to leave here and we want to live a life that is worthy of the freedom with which we have been bought. And we thank you for Jesus. We stand in your presence, God, in Christ alone. We have no other hope. And we honor Jesus with our lips, with our mind, with our heart, with our actions. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.